R E A R E A R E A R E A Audio Re-e-a, audio. 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 Re-e-a, Re-e-a, audio. 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 He reverted back to his days of flying without the help of a computer. Now, in society, it's incredibly easy for us to run on autopilot. In our personal and our work lives, taking the path of least resistance, in most cases, is our default, and that makes us miss out on a lot of opportunities. So much so that we may even get to a point where we forget the basics of human relationships. Debbie Hammer is a specialty claims consultant and assistant vice president at Woodruff Sawyer, who recently wrote a blog on her company's website highlighting the benefits of taking the path that may, in fact, be one of more resistance, but will, in the long run, be the best course of action for all involved. Debbie Hammer, specialty claims consultant and assistant vice president with Woodruff Sawyer. Thank you for spending some time with us on uh, REA Audio. Thanks so much. Thank you, Todd, for having me. Absolutely. So, Debbie, if you don't mind, just to kick things off, help us better understand um, what your role is there at Woodruff Sawyer and a little bit more about the firm itself. What do you guys do? So let me tell you a little bit about what Woodruff Sawyer does. Uh, Woodruff Sawyer is a large U.S.-based commercial insurance and employee benefits broker and consulting firm. We have international reach via our partnership with Assurance Global Network. We've been around since 1918, over 100 years now, very proud of that. And we are headquartered in San Francisco. Our clients come from diverse backgrounds. We service all uh, organizations, organizations of all sizes and industries. And what we do is we provide our clients with risk management and insurance coverage solutions, in-depth expertise, legal counsel, specialized account and claim uh, claim and advocacy to protect our clients' assets. Um, something I also wanted to share about Woodruff Sawyer that inspired me recently is um, from a talk that our CEO, Andy Berengos, gave at a team building me- meeting. Um, and what he said was, we aren't really in the business of insurance. Insurance is what we do and it's our industry, but our business mission and purpose are to help others. Um, So essentially we're just helpers. You know, we help people and we help our clients. And when we help our clients, we're helping their employees and we're helping their organizations. Um, And at the same time, we're helping each other and we're helping our communities. So basically that sums up what we're all about. The reason I asked you and you volunteered to be on REA Audio is because you wrote a piece for your company's website uh, a short time ago called Transitional Return to Work in Workers' Compensation Claims New Strategies. So with everything that your company is involved in and everything that you're involved in, what was it that inspired that particular topic? A few different things inspired me to write this blog post about transitional return to work. And one of the things that inspired me is our clients have become increasingly more focused on return to work. Um, I think part of this stems from 
the pandemic and the shelter in place orders that pushed employees to remote work and furloughed. And I think now employers want to bring employees back safely. I think they want to address new challenges um, in this new normal that we're in. Everybody's just kind of finding their way. Um, and I, I think the idea of just focusing on the employees in general has made employers also stop, start thinking more about return to work more broadly and wanting to renew their commitment and efforts to uh, return to work issues for injured employees and not just their employees in general. So that was one reason I also see a lot of missed return to work opportunities as I go about my day-to-day -day work working with clients and claims adjusters. Uh, that was my other inspiration. I think that sometimes claims adjusters and human resources representatives alike go on autopilot. Um, I think that it's easier sometimes just to release a temporary disability check, you know, with the click of a button rather than to pause and, um, you know, look at the last medical report, find out what the work restrictions are, pick up the phone, you know, email the insured to discuss these work restrictions. So I think that, you know, it's challenging for adjusters these days because they're overworked, they have high caseloads. And I think that also, you know, human resources managers don't always have the bandwidth to take those work restrictions to the injured workers um, supervisor and discuss possible accommodations. Um, everybody seems to be overworked and really busy these days. And I think one of the things that I wanted to point out in this article is that it, it doesn't have to be time consuming or complicated. Um, it can be um, a process where multiple people are working together to collaborate and help each other out to take baby steps, you know, to get someone back to work. And I feel like sometimes people think they have to do everything by themselves, you know, and and things work better when we collaborate. So, you know, I wanted to provide some simple actions that can be taken and resources um, that adjusters and human resources managers can use, um, such as working with nurse case managers to help coordinate the process. Um, another thought is having written job descriptions to send to the doctors to make sure they fully understand what the the job to be performed entails in terms of the physical demands. Um, so some of these things can really help expedite getting a release to work from the doctor. You know, doctors don't know what they don't know um, and, and job titles just by themselves can be nebulous. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I think a lot of people already know about these things, but I felt like with so many people flocking back to work post pandemic all at once, it was a good time to, you know, send out reminders and to talk about this process again and, you know, to talk about taking real action and and not just talking about what can be done, but really doing it. You know, um, I had a, a colleague who had a, a saying posted on his wall and it said, even if you are on the right track, uh, you'll get run over if you just sit there. And so I feel like that's where it's at sometimes, you know, that um, we all have these good ideas, but it doesn't matter if nobody does anything about it. 
I also see that opportunities are missed when employers don't understand that there's this return to work triage and there's other options available for the injured worker, such as alternate work or not-for-profit work when modified work isn't feasible. You know, and so I wanted to highlight these other options. I think sometimes employers say, nope, we don't have modified work, um, and then they don't explore further. Um, so even with modified work, there's sometimes some simple things that people not might not think about, such as ergonomics, for example, sit-stand adjustable work desks and flexible shifts, um, things like that, you know, are, are simple, but they're, they're not always thought about. And I think that, you know, alternative, alternative work needs to be discussed. Um, and I'm always asking that question, does the employee have transferable skills that could be, you know, used in some way? If they can't be on the front line, can they do supervision or project management temporarily if they've got those transferable skills? And then finally, not-for-profit. You know, I, I always think about reemployability, and I always want to bring that up with my clients. Yeah. You know, so, and then I just wanted to also highlight the tangible and intangible benefits of return to work for both parties, for both the employee and the employer like the lower temporary disability costs from getting back to uh, work. Um, that's a big one. Obviously, that's the obvious one. Um, but, you know, also there's medical cost savings that we see because returning people back to work can motivate them to take charge of their medical situation and recover faster. Um, and so, you know, obviously these savings translate to lower premiums. And then there's the indirect benefits to employers, um, such as the cost savings related to absenteeism and training replacement workers. And then there's the benefits to injured workers, um, including greater engagement, being productive and meaningful and purposeful work, and then just generally a better sense of well-being is what we find. You, you had mentioned, um a short time ago about a focus on the employee that a lot of your clients post pandemic seem to have a stronger focus on the employee. Do you feel like that is a, an ongoing trend that's growing and going to stick with us? Or do you feel like that's something that is, is a phase in this new normal and then people are going to get back to kind of the way, you know, looking at it cases as, you know, numbers on spreadsheets. I do think that the trend will continue. And, you know, I, I think that what happened, you know, I we talk so much about the pandemic. I don't want to keep talking about it, but sure. I do feel like so much happened with the pandemic and it really has changed the way we look at things and, you know, the way we treat people and that includes employees. and. You know, there was this new spotlight that was um, on the the workers' mental health um, from all of this stress during the pandemic. So I, I think that that came to the forefront and employers are definitely more focused on helping their employees in general. Um, but for sure, the injured worker subset of employee populations has gotten a lot more attention as well, like I was saying earlier. Um, 
So, you know, I, I think that employers are more aware now of, of the loss that injured workers experience from having an injury. Mm-hmm. And during the pandemic, employees who had an injury, they kind of experienced more loss than other people. You know, they had so little control over return to work and medical care um, because of the shelter in place um, orders. So they couldn't get treatment and it caused all kinds of delays with their claims. There was an increase in um, stress and anxiety, especially with injured workers um, who are already suffering a loss because of the injury. Um, And because of these delays, some of them had a worsening of their condition. Um, And I think I see that injured workers are still catching up. You know, they're getting treatment now that they couldn't get two years ago. And employers seem to be taking on more of a helping role to help their employees get the care they need now and to get them back to work. You know, maybe these employees suffered a longer period of temporary disability. So there's this push to get them back. And uh, so there's also more of an emphasis on just the injured workers experience in general. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, insurance carriers are training their claims adjusters to be more compassionate to injured workers, um, to Uh, train them to communicate more effectively, you know, with sympathy. Mm -hmm. Um, And I just also think that there's uh, more focus on technology too. Insurance carriers are creating more injured worker apps and portals for ease of access to claims information and to their adjuster. And, you know, for understanding employees' rights, you know, injured workers' rights and options. If somebody, if, if an employer is listening right now and, and you had listed a, a number of different things to take a look at as far as options, right? There was the a, a program like reemployabilities, there was modified duty, there were so many different things. It, it could almost be overwhelming, right? Like, so if I'm a, a risk manager for a medium-sized company and we really don't have any kind of program right now, but I'm intrigued, right? I, I want to do something. And it sounds like action is the word, right? It's not just think about it, but actually put something into action. What would be like the top one or two or three things? Like, how would I start? What's the very first thing I need to do in order to take action to put some kind of program in place? Now, Todd, are you then referring to a situation where in, an employer, maybe they're a small or, or middle size employer and they don't have internal modified or alternate work and you're yeah. starting with, with yeah the they're not accommodating job. anybody right now they're everybody sits at home and and, yeah. and that's it because they've really never put anything into place but they know they want to start somewhere so once they have explored the internal options and there's really nothing and i would want to make sure that they're doing a full investigation of those options. You know, they they may use a nurse case manager, like I said earlier, you know, to, to um, work with the doctor to get work restrictions and get job descriptions, to make sure that everybody understands, you know, what could be done internally. But if they don't have those options, then that next thought is reemployability. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that there are some insurance carriers and third-party administrators who have their own internal not-for-profit um you know light duty work alternative um but i 
I tend to think of reemployability. You know, reemployability works with all carriers and third party administrators. And um, so I basically would just start with uh, having a phone call with the claims adjuster and the insured client. We get on a conference call together and we talk about what reemployability is, you know, the fact that you work with not-for-profit organizations to get people back to work in a transitional light-duty work assignment. And I, I tend to keep it very high level and simple because it's not, I am not with reemployability and I don't want to spend a whole lot of time talking about reemployability without getting someone from reemployability on the line to also talk about what the steps are with reemployability's process. And, you know, but I, I like to focus on the fact that it's pretty simple. You know, they don't have to. I like to stay away from the word program because I think that employers get overwhelmed with that and they think they need to start some formal program. And to them, they think that's a lot of work and a lot of time. And what I have learned about reemployability is that employers don't need to start a formal program. They can simply try this out on one worker and maybe they only have one injured worker. Maybe they don't have a lot of injuries, you know, mm -hmm. so they've got one injured worker or maybe they've got a few, but they just have one that they really want to try this out on. And, and maybe this one particular injured worker seems to be a good candidate and they really want this person back to work and they want to transition them back. Um, so I think that that's something that, you know, is important to point out that it doesn't have to be this really sophisticated, elaborate process. But from there, you know, I usually ask um, for a call with with a representative from reemployability to explain, you know, some of the statistics around return to work in different industries. Um, I know there's a lot of good data kept on different industries to help highlight the cost savings and then just talk about that process. Yeah. Well, first of all, I'm blushing a little bit because just so y'all know, we did not uh, script any of this. I, I appreciate the the uh, <laughs> the the, um, the the plugs for for our for reemployability because we certainly um, feel the same way. Uh, I I think it's really interesting that you said stay away from the word program. I, I made a note there because I I think that's a really great strategy because too many times when we have one on one conversations with employers, um, they try to make it more complicated than it really is they you know and i understand everybody has different internal structures and approval processes and everything um but but really it comes down to at least for us um give it a shot uh you know you don't have to put this big elaborate program together let's see if this is the right fit for you if it is fantastic we can grow it from there if it's not that's fine too there's there's no contracts it's, it doesn't work exactly the way everybody wants it but for most people that use it they do see some benefit in it so so i do appreciate that very very much debbie thank you very much um you're welcome so what is like so we're in uh november and we're rolling into the holiday season one of the things we hear when we talk to employers is that you know let's talk about it after the holidays there's all this going on we don't really need to 
uh, implement any kind of program now. I've been thinking about it. Let's let's do it after the first of the year. But what we try to help people understand is, regardless of whether they're using our program or their own program, is that every day that you don't implement something, you are. It's another day that your injured worker sitting at home and and not producing. It's another day that you are spending money on indemnity and medical costs that you may not need to be. Um, we find that you know almost 25% of the time when we send somebody an offer letter, they go back to work. Um, so, so if you have 10 people out, like two or three of them are going to come back right away. So I guess my question is, how do you help employers that you speak with overcome the idea that I got to wait, I got to wait? Is there anything that, that you suggest to them, any urgency that you suggest to them that, that gets them off the fence to actually take that action? So Todd, I say all the same things you said about, you know, that every day they wait is, you know, they're, they're spending more money on temporary disability. Um, so if they want to wait until after the holidays, we're now in November. So that's talking about January. That's two months of temporary disability payments. You know, that's thousands of dollars per month that they're adding to the temporary disability cost on the claim. And it's also true, there are statistics on this that the longer an injured worker is off work, there's one I heard that injured workers who are off for more than 46 weeks, um, and then they come back, they have a much higher risk of re-injury because mm -hmm. of being deconditioned. Mm -hmm. um, so that's something I, I point out that the, the longer someone is sitting at home, the more deconditioned they become. If they're not working, probably not exercising. They're probably sitting at home on the couch, listening to attorney commercials about say, workers yeah. comp. You know, yeah. that's another thing that comes up when people say, well, why did this employee get an attorney? You know, that could be one reason why. Every other uh, commercial so daytime I, TV. You know, I just try to point out all those things about, you know, the medical costs as well and just really focus in on on the benefits of getting someone back to work. And that it also is not getting back to the idea that it's not overly complicated. It doesn't have to be that way. You know, you don't have to do this alone. We're all here helping. We can get a nurse case manager to help put everything together. And if we're talking about reemployability, I know that reemployability takes a lot of the administrative burden off employers um, because they talk directly to the claims adjuster and between the adjuster and the reemployability reps, they're kind of coordinating the whole process, you know, and they keep track of the doctor's restrictions and all of that. So that's what I would say is just, there's no, it doesn't make any sense to wait. Debbie, we've been talking so long uh, and all your shameless plugs for reemployability. I appreciate it. But talking about your article and, and some of the actions that folks can take, um, I really wanted to get uh, some into what you've done in the past and you had some stories that you wanted to share and, and I really want to do that. So would you be able to come back next week and we'll make another episode out of this? Absolutely, Todd. I would love to. Thank you. Excellent. Then I will talk to you next week.
Thanks for listening to REA Audio. If you have any comments or suggestions for an upcoming episode, let us know. Find us on Twitter at REA Audio Podcast. That's the best place for feedback and show suggestions. Also, please follow REA Audio on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or Stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also check out more content at listentorea.com. If you have a story to tell or you know someone who does, please don't be shy. Email Todd at reemployability.com or tell us on Twitter at REA Audio Podcast. Have a great rest of your week and happy Thanksgiving.